meditating on God's word. Now I'm your host, Priscilla Dominguez. Let's get it. All right. Welcome back, listeners. Welcome back to the Yes and Amen podcast. Today I have Ayana. Hey! <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God. I'm so glad she's here, y'all. Um, pro- probably most of you know her um, and we'll share her Instagram handle and all that stuff later on. But let me give you a little bio of her. So Ayana Mathis is a disciple of Jesus who is passionate about eradicating the gap between faith and mental health. As an advocate, she seeks to empower and encourage people to know their options and resources so that they can make informed decisions. Yes, she does this by teaching the Bible from a trauma-informed perspective. Come on, leading in the nonprofit sector professionally and studying psychology at Georgia State University. She lives in Atlanta, Georgia with her husband, Josh, and enjoys a good workout and a plate of bacon. That is so funny. (laughs) Bacon of all kinds, my jam. I love it. (laughs) But it's like, you also enjoy a good, like, that is amazing, a good workout. And you know what? Your goals, girl, because the way I do not enjoy a good workout. (laughs) So, you know what? I'm going to try to be like, I can enjoy a good workout. It is quite possible. Um, But that's so good to hear. I mean, I love that, you you know, your bio says trauma-informed perspective. Um, As a social worker, I work, you know, I work in the justice field and a lot of the work I do um, is trauma-informed. And so I don't really hear that terminology in ministry, in church work, in, you know, biblical work. (laughs) So I think it's there, but I don't necessarily hear it. So it's beautiful to see that you hear it. Um, And just even being reminded right now of like your, your, testimony of like you're probably gone to your school program how it's paid off (laughs) I need to go to her Instagram to like read about that because we can forget like God really does these miracles um still every day and Mm -hmm. you're a witness to that so thank you for that thank you for being here um today's episode is you know it's it's a hard one to talk through. Um, it's actually part two, y'all, of uh, the church her episode we talked about last April 2021. Okay, I'm getting these years <laughs> up. Um, Laura, take us out of this pandemic. But, um, but yeah, it's kind of a part two to kind of just get, that was more so me sharing scriptures and, and testimonies that thankfully people shared with me um, in a confidential way uh, and just a w- way that God was leading me to kind of teach through the topic um, to, to teach and talk to three specific groups of people. Now in this time talking more so from like hearing your perspective right and hearing kind of just like a person's perspective while also um, even me sharing about that but just talking through what that looks like and I love you know you're getting your degree in psychology and being able to include that um, and like you said a trauma-informed perspective uh, is really important because that is what that's it's trauma right when we experience yes. church, abu- church abuse and hurt um, we are traumatized and and when we're traumatized there there are results to it there is something that happens um, within our brain within our body within our spirit um, right. so let's get right into it um, you know I I had this question for you because I had seen you know you were posting about terminology of like church hurt and abuse um, and I think it's really powerful because we can get so used to certain terminology in Christian culture because it's just what everyone is saying. But it's like, what if we what if we reexamined what we're communicating and we really labeled the thing that it is, right? So, you know, you talk about um, church hurt and church abuse and how kind of like they're different terms. So can you talk more about that? What what is like what it, what would be the terms you use? How would you define these different experiences? Yes. So Terms really do matter to me, um, especially as someone who has experienced different types of abuse, whether that be my personal story or walking with others through it. And I just want to first say, like, 
terms matter because a level of care matters. Yes. And so when we think about going to urgent care, like choosing to go to urgent care versus going to the ER or going to a psychiatrist as opposed to going to urgent care or needing certain medication as opposed to maybe only needing an ibuprofen 200 milligrams. Mm-hmm. That matters because what's happening um, in our lives and our bodies and our mind needs a certain type and level of treatment. Mm-hmm. Some people are in a critical state, others are in a more neutral state. Uh, some don't realize that the things that are happening in their body are as, as a result of the things happening outside of them. And so it really, really, really does matter that we use the terms properly and appropriately. And so when I think of church hurt versus church trauma, I I definitely want to say if you use either of those terms, this isn't to judge you in any way. Um, I definitely think that we use what we have. What's most accessible to us at that time is what we use. And so typically when I hear people talking about church hurt, uh, the label hurt kind of bothers me a bit because I feel like in a sense, it minimizes the weight of what someone experienced. And it also doesn't fully encompass what that person person experienced. So for example, if someone says, oh, I fell off of my bike, you know, or someone accidentally knocked me off of my bike, it was a total and complete accident. That's totally different than someone ramming their bike into you, kicking you off your bike, throwing a pebble or um, something in your path to deflate your tires or slashing your tires. Like all of those things are different. And so when I hear people talk about their experience with church hurt, it's often not the former, it's the latter. It's someone willfully and intentionally pursuing them to harm them, to break their spirit. And so that's one of the reasons why I think it's important that we use terminology like trauma and abuse when it is that. And so Uh, you know, abuse is the, essentially the way that it's carried out and trauma is a result of that abuse. So abuse, I get, I can pretty much say this, you, you might agree that abuse typically always results in trauma. Um, It's not ever a time where someone experiences abuse and there aren't after effects. And so that's one big reason why I'm a stickler for using language like trauma, using language like abuse, emotional, um, excuse me, emotional, psychological, verbal, financial, because the, the level of treatment and care we offer to that individual who's experienced those things Mm. is important and it matters. That's so good. Wow. Oh, girl. <laughs> um, I think those examples are really powerful and it's really important. Um, and I think, yes, like you said, terms do really matter. And especially in thinking about your examples, I think about like my feelings get hurt, right? Like my feelings and I'd be in my feelings, right? <laughs> like if I have a little issue with my husband, I'd be in my feelings right. versus like if there was an abusive situation that occurred, mm-hmm. right? Uh, a circumstance that occurred that um, could even be through words, right? That was communicated. Uh, and that's why I think actually um, last month I did an episode about domestic violence and abuse around those forms, right? Because sometimes we perhaps have a very um, limited or narrow definition of abuse, right? You can perhaps only think, oh, physical. Um, And there's just so many, there's just so many forms of it, right? Um, And and yes, I, as someone even just, and I worked in like the justice field and like getting, working um, and going to school for social work, learning that yes, trauma, I mean, I don't know if there's ever been a situation where there is no result of like trauma after form of abuse. Um, And so it's really important, yeah, to be using these terminologies, like you said, because then it's treated it's responded to differently, especially 
by who? The church, right? Mm -hmm. Because then um, I know, for example, <laughs> when I've, I left, I left a church that was abusive um, to me and to other people that I knew. And when I left, I was told, and my husband was told that we were offended. Mm -hmm. But if we were, if we had communicated or if they had interpreted our communication of what we experienced as abuse, then I don't think they would have ever said we were offended, but because yeah. they didn't interpret it that way, then it became, they translated in their head as this is them being offended. Um, and you would never tell, or I hope no, you would never tell someone who got abused that they've been, they're offended and that's why they feel the way they feel or think the way they think. So by naming the terms, then the reactions and responses by people that are either responsible or not are also different, um, right. which that helps in the healing process of someone. Because even then that, was like an abusive moment <laughs> because it's like wow <laughs> even as we've shared our hearts and really hoping that you would understand this is how we're leaving you're by you thinking this perspective um and that also was communicated to other people that we're leaving because we're offended right um so it creates like a manipulative culture and i mean that's a whole other thing um but yeah i would love for you if you could share however you know open or whatever level of openness you're um, open to in regards to communicating kind of like your own experience around church abuse, um, trauma that you've experienced. Um, and like, did you confront who, you know, who um, was the abuser? Did you not? Well, what was your reasoning for doing it? What was your reasoning for not doing it? Um, and then also maybe, maybe even in other experiences and in other instances uh, where you have known people to do it. Sometimes I find myself in that place. Like I know someone was abused has God called me to go and confront the abuser? Um, mm -hmm. And that sometimes can be, I feel, a hard place for a Christian, depending on the situation. So yeah, we'd love to hear your experience. Um, and I feel like people could be seen and heard through you sharing. Yes, so sure. Um, so I'll start with the first question. Um, have I personally experienced abuse? And the answer to that is yes. Um, I've walked with people through abuse and just the after effects of that um, on a spectrum. Some of them experienced racial trauma, racial abuse. Uh, some of them experienced spiritual abuse, financial, um, everything on the spectrum that you can think of. I've probably walked with someone through it, heard a story about it, or somewhere along the line experienced some, some of it myself. And so in my personal story, um, I have experienced spiritual abuse in the form of a spiritual leader using the platform that they said God gave them to demean me and to uh, speak on me and speak on me without saying my name in a demeaning way to their audience. Um, and it's really tough because when you hear someone label something as, well, God told me to say this, or the Holy Spirit gave me this message to share. And then you know that what they're saying is as a result of something that you know, they're not confronting you, essentially, they are being passive aggressive. That hurts, you know. Um, and then also too, um, more recently, I would say in the past three or so years, my husband, and I just recently left our church. Um, and, and during that experience, I was being emotionally and verbally abused by someone in my life that also attended the same church as us. And when I approached my pastor, uh, about it um, via encouragement from my previous uh, leadership. They told me, hey, you should talk to them and let them know what's going on. Uh, I was gaslighted. Um, I was asked if there's anything that I could have done differently to prevent that person from behaving in the way that they did. And I later learned 
that they had not told other elders on staff what was going on. Mm. And so for me, it was really hard because it was like, I came to you and I told you what was happening. I told you, I, I, you, I intentionally used the words abuse because I wanted you to understand how severe this was. Yeah. Um, and instead of asking clarified questions or asking if I was safe or what happened, it was very much glossed over. And so I suffered for a very long time uh, because of the lack of care and support that was due to me under the banner of Christ. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, yeah, the individual who was abusing me, um, I believe to suffer from narciss- narcissistic personality disorder. They definitely exhibit traits. Um, and what was happening was I was being treated a way that no one else really could tell on the outside. Um, but also there were things that were very overt where if you were paying attention and, you know, you watched, you could see what was happening. And I, you know, I experienced heavy anxiety and panic attacks every time I would come on the campus of the church. Mm. Um, and I would be cornered at the church. Um, there would be times where I wouldn't go into certain areas because of being afraid of encountering that individual. Mm. Um, and I can particularly remember one service where, uh, this person verbally assaulted me right on the way to church in the church parking lot. And then later once sitting in church during the sermon, the sermon was on the 10 commandments and the speaker was emphasizing more than any other of the commandments, emphasizing honoring thy father and thy mother and that individual, the entire service was amen and mm-hmm, right after they verbally assaulted me on the way to church and in the church parking lot. There were also there was also an instance where they physically grabbed me to force me to speak to them. Um, there's been that you know that smear campaign and bringing in other people and telling them their narrative, which wasn't true. And so all of that was a lot, um, and it got to a point where. Um, I stopped going and my husband then after me because he was serving there. So he had to, you know, phase out some things before he um, left as well. And so that's part of my story. It's not the entire thing, but uh, in in the aspect of confrontation and addressing those who abused or hurt me, um, I definitely believe I did. Uh, and then also too, I, I, for those who are listening, I think it's important to prioritize your level of safety and comfort. You should never approach an abuser who you feel is literally putting your life at risk or your health at risk, your safety at risk. Um, That can be something that will backfire on you and just cause further trauma. Um, And then also too, just, I think of people who use Matthew 18 as the litmus test for handling all issues, right? They don't, they don't consider that in that passage, something that's not being highlighted or power dynamics, right? And so if there are power dynamics at play where you're being told to go confront someone, or if that doesn't work, go bring someone else, or then, you know, you get to the step of, well, before the church, and then, you know, no longer having anything to do with them, a lot of times people will use that to a victim of abuse, and they'll tell them, oh, you need to go talk to them. Or did you have a conversation with them? Or do they know how you feel? It's like, hold up, mm-hmm. power dynamics are real. If yes. someone is in a position of authority over someone and they don't have that even level playing field to approach that person, and we're also considering safety and if that's gonna cause further re-traumatization 
for that individual, then we have to consider that when we are unpacking a passage like that or suggesting that to someone. And so I definitely think that we have to move on a case by case situation because things are very nuanced and deep and those who are navigating it should do what's best for them, what's most safe for them, what's most healthy for them. Um, and we should seek to be patient and gracious with those who are walking through those hard things. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing part of your experience and your story. Um, every time I hear, just every time, um, it just like really breaks my heart. Um, and last uh, last week I was sharing uh, on social media how like I went to, I, I do spiritual direction and I went in in like five minutes, I was like breaking down crying because mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the grief process and the healing process of being abused, well, being abused in general, but then being abused in the church is different from other grief. And I, and I actually came to that realization last week because it's like last, like if I lose someone, um, that someone passes away, um, I, my heart hurts that I will never like see them again on, on this side of eternity, at least. Right. Um, but there aren't things that come up throughout time that perhaps can stumble my grief process because that's it. They want, they pass away. That's kind of like one and done. Right. But a, a process of healing from an abuse, right. Other things can like stumble us. Right. So mm-hmm. hearing something else, that's why I'm always careful to tell people like, be careful, like what you're listening to. And, um, you know, like, a podcast, I'm not going to name the podcast, but a podcast came out um, talking about a lot of church abuse. And as I was hearing it, I realized mm-hmm. I, I got to like episode five and I realized for myself that I was not ready to listen to this entire thing. Um, and I also did, just didn't know if like it was good for me to listen to the entire mm-hmm. thing eventually, even when I am fully healed from this. So it's a grief process that has like a lot of like stumbling moments and and that's why I think that it's a really powerful line when people say healing, you know, the healing process is not linear because it really is up and down. We can feel like we're in a place where like, oh, I'm feeling so much better. Um, you know, not thinking about that no more. Like I'm, I've moved on. And then some you hear something or you see something and you're like, oh, I'm kind yep. of back here. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so being OK, like with that. Right. And and, and, and kind of like embracing the moments. Um, while also like acknowledging that, like, praise God that my heart still breaks for things that are painful to hear. Um, I yeah. never want to become numb to, mm-hmm. we have so much um, information coming in all the time. So, um, so to just hear that and also relate to it, uh, um, unfortunately, in, in many ways, um, in yeah. several instances in several churches, we left a church abuse situation um, mm-hmm. and we went to another church uh, after quite a while and thinking it wouldn't be the same. And actually we were we were verbally told we, mm. that we would not, we would not experience the same thing that they, they apologize mm. that happened that we would not experience the same thing. And then it happened anyways, and actually in a worse mm. way. So it's just, a, it's still a lot of like healing and processing through um, what this, this is a very real everyday thing that people are experiencing um, and going through. And mm. I, I'm really grateful that you mentioned kind of the steps in relation to Matthew 18, because you're so right, especially in the, in relation to spiritual abuse, because no people or I hope people wouldn't be saying if a woman is abused by her husband, well, follow Matthew 18 and go to your Christian husband, even though he abused you and like go confront. No, people wouldn't say that. So why, right. why is the same application? Why is that not applied also 
to right. you know, someone who experienced um, church uh, or, or, you know, abuse within um, the church or spiritual abuse uh, to also like be mindful, be careful. Okay. Maybe mm-hmm. don't go to them maybe, or maybe bring someone like in my conversations, always my husband was present mm-hmm. um, in those situations because I didn't feel safe because right. I also felt like I was going to be gaslighted and manipulated mm-hmm. in many ways. Um, because I can be, you know, knowing myself, uh, I mean, I don't play, I'm from New York, but <laughs> y'all don't are, play. <laughs> there are certain spaces and people that have made me feel like I don't, like I literally cannot talk. Um, right. And that specifically happened in, in church spaces. So it is really helpful um, to have someone present. If, you know, I have the, the privilege of having my husband to be there present, but like right. if we could have someone else. Um, and, they, and the person that, um, you know, you want to talk to has no right to tell you that no, someone else can't be present. Right. Right. Um, and so being able to just take that authority and protect ourselves because yeah, we had, we never know what we're walking into. Um, especially when we're just simply trying to have a conversation. Um, Mm -hmm. so thank you. Yeah. Again, for sharing that. Um, what do you feel like, you know, the Bible has so many examples for so many things, um, and so many teachings around different things. What would you say the Bible talks about in the context of this? Um, I know you mentioned Matthew 18, and that's in reference, you know, to like forgiveness. And what would you say how that looks in other ways? Perhaps um, how has it showed up um, in the Old Testament, the New Testament? But what is the what is the Bible, or maybe even Jesus talks about in relation to this? I am so glad you asked because something that I hold near and dear to my heart is helping to uh, debunk or remind people um, that the passages that have been used to harm them can be redeemed in a way where they can arm themselves and guard themselves with it to know that the way that this person uses against you, God is using it for your good. And so I have a, a few scriptures here that I want to highlight. I'll just say them first. So if we don't get to all of them, they can, um, you all, not they, you all can visit them at a point. So the scriptures that I want to share with you all, we may not get to all of them, but Joshua chapter seven, Joshua chapter 20, Jude one, second Peter two, the Timothys, um, and Exodus for sure, the whole book. And so I'll start with this. I think that one of the clearest examples of God's heart towards people who have endured abuse is in the book of Exodus. We see the example where Pharaoh is being psychologically, physically, financially, verbally, all of these things, spiritually abusive towards the Israelite. (laughs) Right. Racially. Um, There's discrimination. There are women and children who are dying. I know that we don't really hear more, that a lot about the women who died, but like when women's children are being taken away from them or they're being murdered, the psychological effect that has on a person, depression, like there's so many layers to that that aren't unpacked there that we can't unpack just for the simple fact that it's a result of natural human condition. And so I think of how God responded to that situation and how he raised up Moses from a little bitty baby to then one day become the leader who was going to lead those people out of that situation and how God responded by essentially like letting Pharaoh know like, hey, I'm coming for you. And if you don't respond to this grace, if you don't respond to this patience, this is what's going to go down. And so we eventually see the Israelites leave. Um, They're rescued out of there and they enter into that period of the wilderness. And I think of that as an example of God's care for people who have been traumatized and have experienced abuse. he brings them into this place where 
they're safe and free from the things that were harming them. And so that's definitely number one, for sure. Um, I don't think that there's anything in the Bible that would say God doesn't care about those who are victims of any type of abuse or harm. And then I remembered you talked about this in your uh, first installment of this, um, or the first part of this. And I think about Joshua seven, where Achan sends and takes some of the devoted things into the camp. And then God's like, okay, since y'all aren't speaking up about who did this and why y'all lost this war, the defeat at AI, let me bring y'all clan by clan. I'm going to call y'all out and see what's going on. And it eventually comes out that Achan was the one who took some of the devoted things and had him in the tent with his people. And so they suffered consequences as a result of that. Uh, but I think about that situation and how one person and their sin and those people around them and not disclosing that, not confessing that, not acknowledging and repenting of it can literally have a, an effect on a whole community of people. So in your first episode, you talked a lot about how sometimes there are those who may not be directly involved in the abuse, but they may be complicit or have been assigned as uh, there's a there's a term called uh, abuse by proxy. Right. So those abuse by virtue of being around that abuser and they're playing a part and role in the abuse that's occurring. They may not know the depths of it, but they're agreeing to a lot of it. And so I think about that example and how we cannot look at a situation and say, oh, that has nothing to do with me because it didn't happen to me or I didn't do it. No. In this example of Joshua 7, one man's sin one group sin affected the whole camp. And we have to have that mindset and perspective towards abuse in the church and people dealing with religious trauma. I also think about um, Jude 1 that talks about, and I'm going to flip to it really quick. Jude 1, the book of Jude. The language that's used there to describe false teachers. I know a lot of times we think false teachers can only be false teachers by virtue of doctrine, but false teachers can also be false teachers by virtue of character. And so there is a part in here where it's uh, Jude 1, 12, and it says, these people are dangerous reefs at your love feasts as they eat with you without reverence. They are shepherds who only look after themselves. They are waterless clouds carried along by winds, trees in the late autumn, fruitless, twice dead, and uprooted. They are wild waves of the sea, foaming up their shameful deeds, wandering stars for whom the blackness of darkness is reserved forever." And it goes on to say a lot more, but I think about that in relation to this conversation because these people who are abusing others, they are among you. They are passing as charismatic people that you want to elevate in leadership because of their gifting. They are people that can get away with things that other people can't get away with. There's favoritism there. And I, I also think about Second Peter chapter 2, for example. And here it's describing the judgment on false teachers. Um, and in verse, uh, in verse 13, it says, they will be paid back with harm for the harm they have done. They consider it a pleasure to carouse in broad daylight. They are spots and blemishes, delighting in their deceptions while they feast with you. And I think about the boldness that those who have abused others often come with. And I know I'm probably talking to a wide 
audience right now because there are people who have experienced abuse on the spectrum of domestic violence or financial abuse or religious trauma or spiritual abuse. Um, but I think about those who may have had scandals in their churches and their leadership, you know, is still there and no one really did anything about it. And the boldness in which they walk with in front of everyone, they parade themselves around as if no one can touch them or there's no consequences for what they've done. And so as a kind of remedy, and you talked about this in your previous episode um, concerning spiritual abuse, but I think about the way forward, right? When we talk about those three different groups that you highlighted, those who have done the abusing, and correct me if I'm wrong, those have done the abusing, those who have been abused, and those are kind of like on the outskirts or just may not know what to do. Uh, particularly in Joshua 20, there is um, a setting where God says, there's going to be a community and a place for those who have involuntar involuntarily, um, or not involuntarily, but they have accidentally killed someone, right? Manslaughter. And so the idea behind this community and allotting land for it was these individuals who accidentally killed someone wouldn't be killed by other people because of what happened, but they would go to this place, the city of refuge, and they would stay there for a period of time. And once that time had passed, then they would go back to the city that they came from and they could enter in again. And there was just a whole process. There was protection and all those things. And so I, I credit this to Dr. Diane Lamb who is an incredible voice um, on spiritual abuse, religious trauma, all of those things. And something she said was, when we're dealing with people who are abusing others in the church, our tendency is to let them stay where they are. And that does a disservice to them and those they have harmed and those who could potentially be harmed by them mm -hmm. um, in the future. Yep. Her suggestion, her exhortation was, we should take time to find people within the community, that body of believers who are mature, who are trained and who can handle it, to visit them in their homes and offer them sacraments that way, that they can attend church in a house setting until they are well enough to be amongst the people again. Mm -hmm. When you're talking about abuse and you're putting, it, it's like, it's a liability, right? right? At the end of the day, you are liable for what may happen as a result of this person being allowed to stay in this community. It doesn't mean that we don't want them to experience God. It doesn't mean that we don't want them to recover or to get the help that they need, but they cannot do that safely within the community of the people that they could potentially harm. And so for those who have been abusers, and I, I do want to say this, abuse is not something that's common in the sense that everyone does it. Right. Full stop. Mm -hmm. Everyone does not abuse everyone else. Abuse is something that is uncommon and we, we have to keep it that way because if we normalize it to the extent that, oh, everyone's doing it, then it's like, well, will I abuse someone? Or, you know, it will come across that uh, abuse is so common that anyone could fall susceptible to it. And that's not true. Uh, if you have abused someone, you absolutely need to seek professional help, mm -hmm. uh, whether that be through a licensed therapist um, or if you may suffer from a neurodivergent disorder where it's literally to the point you need treatment, yeah. then let's talk about those things. But let's not normalize abuse to the point where, you know, abusers are considered people who are just they're just always going to be there. And so that's what I think about when I think about how the Bible speaks about these things um, and just the care that we offer to those who have been abused and those who are doing the abusing. If you're in a state where you know that that's something that you've done, that's different from hurting someone. It's something that's willful, intentional, and calculated. And if that is the way that you're navigating your relationships with others, there definitely needs to be some intervention of sorts. Ooh, all those scriptures. Um, I'm really 
I mean, there's there's a reason my son's name is Moses. I love the book of Exodus <laughs> um, and it's powerful approach to freedom, right? And freedom in all different forms. How we were talking about Pharaoh, sometimes we can just think it was like, okay, they were like building things for Pharaoh. That's like spirit, um, physical abuse. But it's like, no, he was he was abusing across the board in, yes. in quite a few ways and had a gang and a group of people that ah. supported him and affirmed it, right? So when we talk about like the people, like the yes people or the people on the side is like, yes, maybe you didn't specifically like lash someone or specifically right. say a word, but you knew about things that are happening, even if you didn't know all about it. Um, and that's always my big point. Like just because you don't know everything doesn't mean you can't do something about it. Um, and I like how you were talking about having someone like be home. And like, it's literally is like, they are not well, right. right? And they need to get well. Um, and when someone is not well, they go somewhere to get well. So perhaps that is home. Perhaps that is actually like at a place, um, you know, whatever that can look like, but it's like to actually get well, because like you said, it will then become an actual common thing, a normal thing, a norm that we just accept and keep going. Um, and I also want to highlight the difference between sorry and doing and getting well, because to apologize and quote unquote repent, honestly, even if it's public repentance, even if it's a whole announcement, a whole YouTube video or on platform, that is different from getting well. Because if I am experiencing, let's say if I'm depressed, I'm clinically depressed, for me just saying some words one day that is not going to change my healing process or recovery process, right? Um, and that's that's not a, depression is not something that, you know, hopefully like I wouldn't necessarily be harming anyone else. This spiritual abuse includes um, neural like dynamics that is causing people to harm other people. So mm -hmm. a sorry is not, I would say, sufficient. No, <laughs> not only for the not only for the abused, but also for the abuser, because that will not psychologically or spiritually change them. Exactly. Um, and so there is a process needed. You know, you mentioned like a group of people kind of like supporting and, and helping as that person like steps out and like finding mature leaders. I think sometimes that is the issue because it's like, I, for example, in my two situations of abuse, there were no elders in the church to um, say that. So the people who abused were on top and the only way that they would not, they would end up um, stepping down is because they made the choice to, not because anyone could tell them they had to, which is why it's so important. We live out the book of Acts through church, right? The book of Acts teaches us how to have a church. Churches should have elders because some people are wallet, right? So we're in need of accountability because if the person that is on like the highest position does not have accountability, then they're just going to keep going. Um, and so that is a really important thing. It's, it's not to say that apologies don't matter. We should, as Christians, um, humble ourselves always to be willing to apologize to someone, um, but that some things require more than an apology and abuse is one of those things. Um, and so as some, if you're someone who has been abused, um, I would say accept the apology while also kind of acknowledging that there more needs to be done. Um, right. And I like how you mentioned in Exodus, um, it was God's justice because sometimes for me, 
Um, and then just some friends that I know that we talk about this sometimes is sometimes we don't see the justice with our eyes, right? Mm -hmm. We don't see the justice right now or right, right away, but that does not mean God is not just. And that does not mean that people will not get the consequences for their sins. Right. Um, it is not, it is not our, um, it's not, it's not a, show for us to be a witness to the the consequences that people are going to get for their sin um sometimes people think you know uh, i know for us like these church leaders like they abuse and their church keeps getting larger and god is blessing them let's not confuse that <laughs> god is not necessarily blessing them and more numbers does not mean um that you know they're succeeding in god's eyes right so really relying and being patient in god's justice and also um, accepting that we may not see it in our lifetime. We may pass away and not see the justice that we wanted to see, but remembering that God remains just. There are people who passed away that did not reach the sea, right? They did not, that people that didn't even get to see Moses, they were for 400 years, <laughs> you know, they were in that. They didn't know Moses was going to pull up and, you know, do that. And do, <laughs> pull oh God, right, God. <laughs> so like realizing that, you know, we can have a peace um, that we we can trust God that he did not just see your abuse happen. And then he's just like, he's like, okay, I'm, I'm here for you. And I'm comforting you right now. There's actually more he is doing in exactly. the unseen. And we get to trust him in that. And the book of Exodus gives us an encouragement as an example, because sometimes we don't see real life examples. Right. <laughs> um, right. we just see, you know, someone disappear. Um, <laughs> and like, we don't know what, you know, their, what is happening in regards to their repentance or anything like that. Um, but we really get to trust that God is actually just, um, and we get to, you know, speak testimonies of that, um, in our own lives. So thank you for sharing those references in scripture is really important and powerful, um, to see. So now I'm thinking about that as, as who are people like believing and trusting the Bible? Are Christians, hopefully. <laughs> so as the body of Christ, as believers, what do you feel that we can be doing better? We are, I feel, you know, some people are trying to do, um, you know, certain things to like really help, but what do you feel we can be doing better specifically, whether it's church leadership, church staff, um, church members, um, Christians in general, Christians on social media, whatever that looks like. I'm glad you asked. I love this question. Uh, for starters, um, I think something that we can do is have a posture of humility in all areas, both. I don't know this person's story. I wasn't there. And also let me humble myself to realize that my experience with someone is not everyone's experience. So a lot of times when someone discloses that they've been abused by someone in our family or in our church, uh, sphere or community, the first inclination is to knee jerk push up against that. Oh no, they are, that's not who they are. They would never do something like that. And oftentimes you, people join a brigade of protecting that individual. But the reality is if someone's character is truly what we think it is, then they can stand an abuse allegation. And if we do not know that person as deeply or intimately as we thought, then we should give way for that to come out. So for example, um, I led an investigation a couple of years ago now where there we were investigating in abuse into um, a couple of ministries. Um, and it came out that it was worse than what we thought it was. I knew people had attended the church and everything like that. And I had heard stories from them when things were, you know, in when they were in the thick of it. But when it came time for things to publicly just be surfaced, I experienced a lot of people saying, well, no, they're not like that. Or 
they didn't treat me like that. Or you don't see what all that they've done for the church or what they've done for me. And I was like, do you live with this person 24 seven? Are you in their skin? Because if you were in their skin, yes, I would full stop wholeheartedly take your word at everything you're saying. But the reality is we don't live with people 24 seven. We're not with them at all points in their day and in their life. We're not a part of all the conversations that they're having. And so the vantage point we have of someone is very limited and we have to consider that. So we definitely have to lead with humility um, when navigating, hearing someone disclose abuse as well as posturing ourselves to be uh, not a burden, but a guide and a neighbor and assistance. Um, I'd also say too, just, Breaking that barrier of the stigma surrounding mental health and faith. Um, a lot of people get scriptures and verses thrown at them um, that explain away or excuse away what they've experienced. Oh, you're not going to church because you've been hurt. Get over it. As if, you know, that's the way forward for those who have experienced trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd also add that prioritizing health over presence. And what I mean by that is, and this is something that you talked about in your uh, previous episode, but a lot of times people assume that if there are elders present in a church, that that means it's safe. Mm. And that's not always true. I actually, in my experience, have a good friend who was abused by an elder. And the dynamics of that particular elder board were that the elders protected each other, not the interests of the body, not the interest of God, but the interest of themselves. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, there were elders present. If you looked at the the website and everything, oh, they look clean, they look good, they look put together. Mm -hmm. Uh, But on the inside, they were unhealthy. And so prioritizing the health of leadership, prioritizing the health of of the people who are leading um, and those who are in the congregation as well, because it's not always the leadership who's doing the abusing. Sometimes it's the congregants who are, you know, abusing each other. Mm -hmm. It's a hot mess. But- I'm just remembering that health matters over anything, not just you having these things there, but how are they actually functioning? I think of a wheel on a bike. You can have two wheels on a bike, but are they deflating? Is there a nail stuck in the tire? Just because it's present, just because it's there, doesn't mean that bike is riding like it's supposed to. Maybe with these bike analogies today. Um, (laughs) And then the last thing I'll say, um, something that we can do is remember that um, trauma runs deep. Right. And when we think of people, and I think this is why discipleship is so important in the way we disciple people um, is because we all come from a family of origin. Right. And a lot of us are coming from backgrounds that no one knows anything about. Uh, There are some people who don't discover until they get way older that their parents were abusive towards them or they had narcissistic mother or father or person who was raising them. Um, Sometimes people don't get older. uh, it, It takes time for them to get older to realize, oh, like this thing that I experienced in my childhood really is impacting me as an adult. And so when we're navigating abuse, right, those who are doing the abusing, those have been, who have been abused, sometimes they may have a propensity to be in certain environments because of what's familiar to them, not necessarily what's healthy or good, but what's familiar to them. So some folks find themselves continually entering into abusive environments because that's what's comfortable and what's their what they're used to. And until someone tells you like, hey, you know what you've been experiencing, is it normal? They're like, wait, I didn't know. And so I think really uh, stepping back and saying, you know what, how people were raised and how what people experience in their life, let's factor that in into these conversations. And I'm not saying that just because you were abused means that you're going to abuse. 
there's nothing scientifically that has supported that premise. Uh, but there definitely are things that we experience in our lives that may contribute to or lead us to enter into certain environments or be around certain types of people or not realize certain things about ourselves. So education surrounding trauma, education surrounding mental health and wellness, and just allowing those who have been voiceless to step forward is always a good thing. Yeah. Amen. Thank you for all of those. Those are really good. Um, I really also want to emphasize the first one you said of, you know, someone said like, oh, I, they're nice to me, or I didn't realize that. Like, I think honestly, that has been like a really hurtful statement when mm-hmm. I have confided in people to share kind of like my story or to receive like support. Um, so let's also stop saying that, <laughs> saying that as a body, like, like like you said we don't live with them but also just because someone's nice to you doesn't mean that they're acting and doing what they're doing so (laughs) um, the the statement or the excuse like oh but they're so nice to me is it's just like it's not about you sis (laughs) like they did this to someone else like right not about (laughs) don't center yourself yeah and so that can be such a huge like you know, and it's like people shock, like, oh my God, but they're nice. And I'm like, all right, but we all fall short every day. So let's not be putting anybody in a pedestal. Like anyways. Um, so yeah, so I think that's a really important thing. Like we need to really be mindful as Christians, as a body of Christ to listening and to how we're responding, because someone who has been abused and someone who's traumatized, we need to just be really careful how we respond to them because we can add to the trauma. And that would be, you know, the worst thing if they're coming to you for support, um, prayer, or just confide, confide in you. Um, so thank you for that. I think we can all take those um, and just be learning and doing, you know, better and what that looks like. And and y'all in a Christian con in the church context, but also as a Christian context, this is how we get to behave as Christians in the world, in your job, whether you work in ministry or not, in your homes. Like this is the body of Christ is not confined to a, like a church service on Sunday. Like we right. get to be this way. <laughs> all the time and, th- and consider these things all the time um, mm-hmm. because there's people who are being hurt by Christians at their job, right? Exactly. Like it's not just <laughs> happening in churches. And so we get to um, wear these hats all the time and not just on Sunday at 10 a.m. Um, so thank you for this, Ayana. Thank you for just sharing, for teaching us. Um, you know, we always just have to go to the Bible at the end of the day. It has um, literally all the answers. And so thank you for all those examples. Um, I, I thank God that he, the way he has um, healed you and worked through you and um, supported you and comforted you, that you can communicate about this in a graceful way, but also um, truthful way. Uh, and I just pray, yeah, that this can bless people and people can continue this healing journey um, to just be able to acknowledge um, that God is just, um, that what happened to you is not okay um and that you yeah you get to heal and you get to recover and you get to run closer to god rather perhaps you know in a different direction um and there are then there are christians out there um ready to give you a good hug and not respond passive aggressively and be you know ridiculous um it may take a while to find them and um that might be a hard process too but um there is hope on the other side of all of this um while also this is just a really real thing that we get to Uh, face head on so thank you yeah for being an advocate for this for um just always being willing to just teach and share about this um also for making it like kind of funny sometimes through your reels (laughs) 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 like you know sometimes we gotta gotta lighten the mood mood. exactly exactly so thank you yeah thank you so much i really appreciate you absolutely Yes. And y'all can um, follow Ayana on Instagram for real, for real, follow her um, at Ayana Z 
Mathis um, because yeah, she just shares a lot, um, a lot of insight. And also just like from, I, lo I love how you're you know, teaching from like um, a mental health standpoint, psychology standpoint, because uh, I know everybody these days want to be like a mental health professional uh, <laughs> or expert. And I'm like, y'all really need to chill because there are people at <laughs> school for this. <laughs> so, right, right, right. <laughs> right, I'm like, I sometimes see posts and I'm like, my social work professor would be very upset at this very right, like, exactly. accurate depiction of trauma. Yes, so, yes. you know, we get to learn from people um, who are really in this and really taking the time to study the realities of how this affects our brains, um, mm -hmm. our bodies, all of these different things. Um, and Ayana is one of those people. So thank you um, for being able to be that, you know, through for us on social media. Um, and just thank you for being here today. I appreciate you. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. And I'm just so grateful for the work that you are doing, that you were uh, talking about this. And you being a licensed social worker, like that's so important and helpful to the body and just keep up the good work. Thank you. Hey, y'all. Um, so something to consider also as we were talking about this topic and all these different things, this ministry is committed to being able to serve women, right, and serve people to continue to grow and flourish. And part of that is the healing process. We just a few months ago started launching courses, and we actually have a course about this, centered around this, actually included with Ayana, with Ayana Mathis, with Kristen Lavalle, and with Laura Berenger, the co-author of A Church Called Tav. And they're speaking and teaching um, on each week of the course based on this four-week course that is called Healing from the Body, the nonlinear process from post-church abuse. And so it's important that we be able to heal from these experiences and also learn tools around that. What does practical forgiveness look like? What are our next steps? What does trusting God and other people look like? What does the Bible say about these different things? And so it's taking this episode and making it more a more community-based kind of space so we can grow and learn from one another while also healing. And that is currently live. You can sign up, check out the link and our bio. And we're starting on April 3rd up to May 1st. And we'd love for you to be a part of it so you can just get equipped, get resource on how to walk this out, but also how to support other people who perhaps have experienced it or will experience it in the future. And so you can find all the notes for that and all the details on that at uh, the show notes or just go to wearefullcollective.com to learn more about the course and about the full garden. Um, but yes, if this episode really blessed you and encouraged you um, and it's just something important that you feel, definitely please share it with other people perhaps that have experienced something similar or maybe even church leaders so they can you know, grow an awareness in the areas that they can be aware or just do better in. Um, and then also check out the first episode of this podcast series specific episode around church abuse and hurt um, that happened last April 2021. It's in season two. So you can go check that out. It's called the four W's of church hurt and abuse. And so I pray that this time bless you and I hopefully we'll see you at the healing from the body course um, really soon. Y'all, I pray that conversation blessed you and that you're able to apply something you either learned or heard to your continued growth on your faith journey. I invite you to study more on the scriptures we talked about on this episode and don't let any conviction you experience go without prayer and action. Share any thoughts or testimonies you may have by leaving us a rate or review and don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. Meet us next time for another episode and if you don't already, follow us on Instagram following at PD or at we.r.fool to learn more about our growing community and get connected with us.